This is Creek with At The Table Podcast. Here at At The Table Podcast, our goal is to break down scripture and biblical topics to make them easy to understand and inspire a conversation that is ultimately glorifying to God. We pray that this content blesses you, challenges you, and edifies you in your faith. So have a seat at the table, and without further ado, let's get into the show. Good morning. Good morning. It is morning. I can't tell if it's good or not yet. Everybody looks tired. I always look tired. You know, that's actually how I answer that question anymore. People come and say, oh, you look tired. I'm like, this is just my face. Yeah. <laughs> this is just the way that I look now. <laughs> this is just the face of a father of five. and Yeah. It's kind of like the Hulk, you know. It's like, I'll tell you my secret. I'm always angry. Except for I'm always tired. I'm, I'm always tired. Yeah. <laughs> I stayed up too late with the wife watching a show. Well, that was cool that you got some quality time in. Yeah, it was. And the show was interesting. I almost didn't go to bed at two. I think was we it, all stayed up late. Was it edifying? Was sure. it good? It was a western. Wow. I you just, know what? I, just cut the podcast. It. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't only consume exclusively Christian entertainment. Well, I got back from Wichita late. We bought like 35 fire extinguishers. Bro, I'm pretty sure you're on a watch wow. list for that. <laughs> <laughs> he is for sure now that you pumped them algorithms up. <laughs> I'm just saying, dog, you're on a you're on an FBI watch list now. I mean, you don't a white guy doesn't leave Target with 35 well, I didn't go to Target. <laughs> why didn't you go to Target? You already know why I didn't go to Target. I'll be old about it. Oh, man. Either way, you don't leave the department store with 35 fire extinguishers as a white guy. Well, Even buy 35. Sam's. No doubt. Yep. Let's I'm, go Sam's Club. For work. I am curious what that cost. It was like 670 bucks. Ah! White privilege. Well, <laughs> yeah, I just... I mean, have, have my you ever boss used... will pro- hopefully pay me back. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever used a fire extinguisher? Uh, I don't know. They will, all, they will suck the breath to. out of you, dog. Yeah. I've always wanted to. Really? It, it, they taste salty. I got some for you. We can. We have a fire. They do. We have a fire compression system at work. But if you if you pull the handle to signal that bad boy, thousand dollars a pop. Oof. Well, I I used a fire extinguisher one time and like filled the room up. I started coughing. I don't know what that stuff is. It probably causes cancer, though, but it uh, it tastes salty, mm. and it, like, sucks your breath away. Have you tested positive for mesothelioma? No, <laughs> but I, I've been using a lot of glyphosate lately, and since then, like, every time I turn on the TV, there's a commercial about, like, have you been exposed to Roundup? Uh-oh. Has it caused cancer? I'm like, probably. Yeah, just <laughs> for the audience, so glyphosate is not, like, a drug that he's been using. Yeah, he's I didn't know. sober. <laughs> It's uh, it's what you used to spray weeds to make them die. I'm pretty sure most people they do now knew that, but I don't know why you had to insert. We want to protect you. Throw my name in there with drugs at all. You <laughs> said, "Well, I've been using glyphosate." 
It's like, dude, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Thought you were gonna sell me some herbal tea. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You want to know something? I do, audience. Cut earmuff the earmuff the kiddos. Oh no! When oh, I go to gosh. Walmart, seriously, when I go to Walmart and I have to buy spray paint for work, to like to spray paint pump jacks or wells or whatever, <clears throat> it always gives you like the are you eighteen deal, and they have to come and Carton. check it out. Every single time I look at the people that are that are carding me, and I said, "You have to be eighteen to huff spray paint." <laughs> oh my! <laughs> Just to see the look on their face. <laughs> oh lord, it's so funny. Help us all, especially when my wife is with me because she just yeah. like wants to melt into the floor. I think you're you, you, did, you don't deserve the title husband if you don't embarrass your wife We're, in Walmart. Oh, I thought you were going oh, to at the self checkout. If if the price is anything at all above fifty bucks, it doesn't matter what it is. Will that decline? I no, yeah, it's even better than that. <laughs> I, I see it register and I go ah. Gail in the section. My wife gets so mad when uh, I yell or fart or anything in Walmart, dude. Wait, you fart in Walmart? You know we all fart in Walmart, bro. <laughs> I'm just playing. Oh, I'm just man. playing. I'm just playing. I, you know, uh, the last like joking note. A reel came across of uh, I think it was Rush Hour Two. No, yeah, it was Rush Hour Two. When he was like, "Who are you? I am you." Like, yeah, you, who are you? That's the guy's name is you. Is, is it three? Yeah. Oh, man, that was so funny. <laughs> I was watching that real last he night. He is you, and I am me. He is me, and I am you. Yeah. Are you That's deaf? Me. No, you is blind. <laughs> no, you blind. That's just what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here just watching it over and over again. Did you guys oh. see on my Facebook the video? Like, so this guy did an experiment. He took eight people with very peculiar laughs. He put them all in a room together, and one person starts laughing, and then they all start laughing because that guy has a funny laugh, but they all have funny laughs. Oh, dude. That's the ultimate troll. Bro, I watched it 20 times in a row. It was so funny. This one guy sounds... (laughs) You watched it 20 times in a row? No, that's not an exaggeration. I'm serious. Like, this one guy sounds like the dolphin on SpongeBob. (laughs) There's other... (laughs) Yeah, the, the, the lady next to him, she starts busting out, and she sounds like the freaking donkey. <laughs> and it's just a chain reaction. One lady buck snorts, and they just Dude, keep going. I freaking hate it when those kids do that to you. If they they absolutely dominate you on Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> it's like dude, you're a jerk, man. So, oh uh, yeah, what's at the table today, guys? What are we discussing for the the Bible stuff? Yeah, um, we're, we're discussing the uh, anointing of the king. Oh, you know what? We forgot something. We said we were going to start doing every episode, and that was giving a shout out to our international listeners. Mm. Last week we picked Jamaica. The week before that it was Qatar. So Let's this go week, with Canada, Canada, Canada. A. Eh? If you want to send us some maple syrup. We would love that. Yeah, and just like for any of our our listeners, foreign and and domestic, you can uh, email us anytime at at the table podcast mail at gmail dot com. We'd love to hear from you. Love to correspond with you. Yeah, and at some point we'll probably start busting out some Q and A episodes. We're by no means scholars uh, or Hebrew language um, 
We blue we letter. have blue letter Bible. What so. what we lack <laughs> yeah. what we lack in education we make up for in confidence. Yeah, just uh <laughs> just be kind with your questions. <laughs> we have Duolingo and Blue Litter Bible. No, but, the best we can do. But we're blessed to be um well connected with a, a network of people and yeah. if we can't find uh the answer off top, then you know, by God's grace and his spirit, hopefully he can lead us to the to the right source. But we overall we just love to interact with you. I think we're probably gonna be setting that up on our Facebook page as well, but email would definitely yeah. be the best way to get at that. And, and we are working on our website. And when we get our website up, we'll try to do something like a um, like a phone-in line where you can call and leave a voice message and and uh, talk to us or, or, or just tell us what you think of the show or, and how it's impacted you. So, Well, anyway, what was at the table? Sorry. Uh, yeah. Well, First you know, you said that we forgot to, to shout out the, the listener. Um, in a foreign country, but I was actually going to work that into what oh, I was saying, and he just bad. like chopped me off. <laughs> I was like, "Dang, yeah, all right." Well, I wasn't planning on putting a phone in line on the website, <laughs> and you just added another job to my list. So appreciate that. Congratulations! No, I just busted us out in the production. Yeah. That being said, we'll edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, we, we're going to be talking about a. Um, a, a, an anointed one, a Mashiach, right? Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, and this kind of gets to the back end of things, but we're really familiar with the word Christ, right? That that is that is a word that that is used in most of us in in the mainstream and evangelical, you know, um, pipeline. We we tend to think that that's like Jesus's last name, like it's <laughs> Joseph and Mary Christ. And that's that's not the case. So this word Christ is is a Greek form of the Hebrew word Mashiach, and it means anointed one, the one who is anointed. Messiah. Messiah. There you go. And so we're we're going to be covering in in First Samuel the first anointed king. Yeah. Yeah. So in our snake crusher series, which if this is your first time tuning in, please make sure to uh, to go back and hit those other Snake Crusher episodes, because we're treating this like a, we're kind of engaging it in a literary fashion, like you would a, a narrative line or a, a novel line, um, introducing the plot, the characters, um, all, everything leading up, you know, rising to the climax and then finding its resolution. Um, we're not quite at the resolution yet, just as a forecast, but... So in the last episode, we talked about, we ended off in chapter 8 with Samuel um, and the people of Israel having this dialogue where they are requesting for a king like all of the other nations to rule them. And the way that we landed that plane was by discussing that it wasn't so much a bad thing for them to want a king. That was covered and and promised by God multiple times, right? Deuteronomy, um the oracles of Balaam, et cetera, et cetera. God promises that he will give them a king, that he has a king in mind. But rather than the king that God has in mind, they would prefer to have the king that all of the other nations have in mind. They want a king like all of the other nations. And we discussed too, you know, according to this like DCW aspect, this divine council worldview, that in desiring a king in that fashion, there's also a, it doubles as a rejection of God as ruler because you would rather subscribe to the ruler of, of that sort of king 
and that showcases in the idolatry, right? They're they're going after the Ashtaroths, they're going after the Baals, they're going after these Canaanite gods or the Ammonite gods or the gods of the Edomites, you know, pretty much any god they can get their hands on and playing the role of a prostitute with Yahweh. And something I think Trey pointed out, <clears throat> maybe it was last week, but, you know, they want, like, a big king. Yeah. Like they want yeah. a king that resembles yeah. other kings, like, kind of a nephi sort of deal yeah a giant right uh, or the idea is like a hybrid we want to we want a god king we want a king who takes his his lineage from from one of these gods and and i mean i find it fascinating that their excuse to samuel is we're like we want a king to go before us in battle it's like yo yahweh's went before you in battle and right. he has wrecked right everyone mm-hmm. right he, in fact, from day one, he's gone to battle for you, from Abraham to you. When you were obedient. Yeah. Yeah. A couple times, you got knocked. <laughs> so we're you know, we're picking up in chapter 9 on the tail end of, of chapter 8. After they request for this king and God tells Samuel, like, hey, don't, don't be afraid. Give them what they want. They have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me. They don't want me to rule over them. And so in this chapter, we're going to cover the, the king that is chosen um, both by God and, in a sense, also kind of by Israel. But anyway, so verse 1 says, There is a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekarath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. So right off the bat, not of Judah. Right, yeah, not the guy. And he's from Benjamin. Them nasty guys that back in Judges were yeah. like Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, they're horrible, horrible. Now, that doesn't mean every Benjamite in the world is an awful person. But. No, but also I want to point out real quick that if you're reading this in the King James, it doesn't say a man of wealth. It says a man of power or a man yeah. of might, a mighty man. The word there is Gabor. If if you guys go back to, to other episodes when we talk about the, these like These Genesis hybrid six. giants, yeah, yeah th- that are mentioned in Genesis six, they're also called Gabor, and that doesn't mean that every Gabor is a giant. Yeah, it what it does mean though is it's kind of got a bad connotation, at least thus far. Now yeah. there are places in in the Old Testament where Yahweh is called a mighty man of war, a, a Gabor, and so there's a good connotation, and we're going to find out which one it is with this anointed king. Yeah. And like you said, to be fair, even in the bad connotation, in the negative light, the Gibor doesn't necessarily have to mean a giant. It just means a guy that is renowned for being tough. No, but in um, verse 2, we get it where it says, His son Saul, he's the most handsome man in Israel. He's a head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. And so you have Gibor, which is then right afterwards mentions like, oh, and he's bigger than everybody else. Right. By quite a bit. Right. And he's an Israelite. Uh, you know, granted, they're not super tall, but to be a head and shoulders taller above everybody else, you know, if the average height of the person somewhere roughly around like five foot five, you're a pretty sizable fella, yeah. you know. Anyway, so it says the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And so, you know, Kish says to his son, Take one of the men, arise, and go look for the donkeys. And so he passes through the hill country of Ephraim, through the land of Shalisha, and they couldn't find him. And they pass through the land of Shalim, and they're not there. And they pass through the land of Benjamin, and still can't find him. 
And when they come to the land of Zuf, Saul says to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city. He is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Well, Saul seems to have a pretty likable servant. Right. I mean, he's the first thing his servant says, the first time he's ever recorded speaking in Scripture, he says, hey, go consult the man of God. Right. So that's kind of a cool sign. Maybe Saul will turn out well. Then Saul says to his servant, but if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone. There is no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? I would like to point out before we keep move, before we keep moving on, um, notice that, you know, Saul does kind of inquire of the Lord here. And notice over time just how that theme plays out of him inquiring of the Lord. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And the servant, like, does him a solid, too. He answers Saul again. He says, here, I've got with me a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. So the text just gives you an explanation as to why you see the word seer in there in some translations instead of prophet. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, let's go our way. So they go to the city where the man of God was, and as they're going up the hill, they meet they met young women come to draw water, and they say to him, Hey, is the seer here? And they answer, He is. Behold, he's just ahead of you. Hurry. He has just come now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. I want to point this out too before we go. The people are, are following an expectation of obedience that when Samuel says to wait, they wait. They don't jump ahead. So regardless of whether he's late or not, won't matter. They're not going to eat. They're not going to do anything until the man of God comes to bless the sacrifice. So just linchpin that, that detail in your head because we're going to round about a story before too long where that's going to come back to your head. So they go up to the city, and as they're entering the city, they see Samuel, this prophet of God, coming out towards them on the way up to the high place before the day came. Uh, now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. You will anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. And I don't know about you guys, but when I read this, I know it says, like, you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He will save the, the people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have heard their cry. We, we've gone over that, like, theme of the cry going up to heaven. But Saul is increasingly starting to seem more like a judge than a king, like well, one of the judges yeah. in that fashion. I mean, I'll agree with that. But also, it says that Yahweh picks Saul. You know, we, we were we were left with the expectation that it was it was the people that were that were wanting this king, and the, you know, but this Yahweh picks this man, and he picks yeah. a man from from the lowest of tribes, right? And so you have that idea of like the humble is being exalted, and and if you guys remember the the song that we read, like there was some 
there were some Mashiach type like prophecies, like the humble are going to be exalted, right? And they will sit with princes. And so we're looking at Saul coming into the picture, and we're kind of it kind of looks like oh, God's God's doing something here. Yeah, yeah. the like, people are beset by enemies, and God is raising up someone who is going to deliver them, a deliverer. And it's like. Wow, this we have an opportunity here for a really good thing to happen. Well, as we go, let's just keep an eye on Saul's humility. Yeah, and I because I don't want to be un, unfair. I mean, very good point. Yeah. As as God moves in this story, like the expectation for Saul is like God's setting you up to, to have a good thing. Mm. He's giving yeah. you a good thing, and even the people we we've read where there's going to be a scepter, right? There's going to be a king. God desires a king. And when we enter this story, the expectation that we're given is like, he's a mighty man, right? He's, he's, going, to be, he's going to be a good warrior. That's needed. That's definitely necessary. He's humble. He comes from humble beginnings. He inquires of the Lord, right? And so everything in the beginning is kind of painted to look like, this, this could be a good thing. Mm-hmm. This, this, could, this could turn out good. Yeah, this has the potential to go one way or another. <laughs> So the the Lord tells Samuel, as soon as he sees Saul, here's the man that I spoke to you. It is he that will restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate, or sorry, he it is who shall restrain my people. And Saul approaches Samuel in the gate, and they say, tell me, where's the house of the seer at? And Samuel said, answer Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you will eat with me. In the morning I will let you go and tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is it? And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? Am I clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why have you spoken to me this way? So Samuel essentially engages Saul in a fashion that in layman's terms is like, you know, hang out, eat with us. Are you and your father's house not all that the people of Israel desire? And Saul's like, uh, my no. clan? <laughs> yeah, not really. No, you know? <laughs> you know, we're the guys that just did that thing, you know. <laughs> so Samuel takes Saul and his young man. He brings him to the hall, gives him a place. And there's about 30 people there. And uh, Samuel says to the cook, bring the portion I gave to you, of which I told you to put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set him before Saul. Samuel said, See what is kept before you eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you may eat with the guests. So they have this uh, this meal, and they come down from the high place in the city, and a bed's made for Saul to sleep. And at the break of dawn, Samuel calls to Saul on the roof up, that I may send you on your way. As they're going to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us. When he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. So now we're to expect God's word to be um, to be revealed to Saul. So in chapter 10, it picks up with that narrative. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has the Lord not anointed you to be prince or leader? over his people Israel, and you shall reign over the people of the Lord. So we mentioned something back with Hannah's song in the last episode, the horn of God's salvation, how this horn was an important thing. 
told you to tuck it away in the back of your head. Well, I want to read to you a little excerpt um, from Gill's exposition of the entire Bible. Don't worry, it's not over the entire Bible. It's just (laughs) for this small portion. It says, Then Samuel took a vial of oil out of his pocket, very probably, which he brought along with him. Sorry, quote, Then Samuel took a vial of oil out of his pocket, very probably, which he brought along with him on the purpose for which he had made use of it. This, as the Jews say, was not the anointing oil that was in the tabernacle, which is at another and distant place, and with which only the kings of the house of David were anointed. Hold on to that name. But common oil, or as they say, the oil of balsam, and this was not a horn, but a vial, which held a very small quantity and was brittle. They observed that Saul and Jehu, hold on to that name too, who were anointed with a vial, had very short reigns, whereas David and Solomon, who were anointed with a horn, their reigns were long. And the oil is a symbol of the gifts and graces of the Spirit. It may denote a smaller measure conferred on Saul than on David, end quote. So this is all just to point out that there's going to begin already, you know, we've already pointed out that Saul's from Benjamin. He's not from Judah. Right. You know, um, all of this that we've heard in our last poem or song, if you will, by 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 Hannah in her prayer about, you know, a horn of salvation, God judging all of the nations, th- these languages don't seem to be applied to Saul just two verses into his, to his inauguration. Well, a horn symbolizes authority. It's like you, when, when that horn is mentioned, it, it always is kind of like this this weight of authority. I think that it, it's both and. I mean, I don't want to be unfair to Saul, but clearly, I mean, Scripture does juxtapose him, right? Yeah. Scripture seems to, like, hint, like, oh, this this could be the answer, right? It, it kind of paints him in, you know, a semi-good light and then kind of on the back is slipping in these little hints like, right. uh, He doesn't have the same, ano- he, let me say this, he doesn't have a lot of anointing, I guess, is the way to put it. And I, I do want to cover one more thing before we push off in, into Saul's inauguration. So uh, Dr. Michael Heiser, may his memory be blessed, had a podcast episode. Um, the the episode number, which we'll, we'll probably drop in the show notes. That way, if anybody wants to go over it, you can, you can go uh, get a hold of that on the Naked Bible podcast. I want to say it's episode 333, but I could be wrong. We'll double check and make sure it's in the notes. That being said, he he did a podcast, and in this podcast, he covers the Jewish expectation of the inauguration of an Israelite king and how that is to reflect into the life of Jesus, how the gospel writers will use that expectation in their gospels to highlight Jesus, right? Well, I want to read to you an excerpt just about the three steps that are, from the Jewish perspective, are supposed to take place in, in an Israelite king. So, quoting Michael Heiser from episode 333, The Israelite King and Jesus is King. Quote, so these are the three steps, just to even pare that down. Three steps or three phases. One, there is a designation or some consecration of who the guy, who the candidate is. Two, that the candidate has to demonstrate that he is fit to be king. Um, some kind of military act. Sorry, that last part wasn't in the quote. Three, then there is a coronation, end quote. 
So we are to expect from an Israelite king's inauguration three things. One, there's some kind of designation. So a prophet or something coming to anoint you to signify that um, God's blessing is on your reign, right? You are the king that God has chosen. We're seeing that right now with Samuel. He's anointed with a flask instead of a horn, but he's nonetheless chosen. The next two steps that we're supposed to expect the Israelite king to demonstrate is the second needs to be a, a military act, an act of strength, a showcase of, of power that you are worthy to lead God's people. Well, the, and that God's behind you, right? He, yeah, God, exactly. God is empowering you to, to, to deliver his people or to conquer your enemy. And as it so happens, the Israelites have even requested as much. Hey, we need a king to go fight our battles. Right. So they, they've already laid out that expectation. And then after those two steps have taken place, then the final step is the coronation. So the, the place that we're at, and I know this is really dense, but this is super important, um, is Paul's, or not Paul, gosh, dog, wrong Saul. Saul has just been anointed. So we'll pick up in verse 2. So he goes uh, by Rachel's tomb. Um, the donkeys that you went to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? So you'll go down from there further. This is Samuel giving Saul instruction. You'll come to the oak of Tabor. Mm. Nice. It's important because you're, you're right now you've already got a man of God, right? You've a got a prophet. Place. You've got a high place. Now suddenly you have a tree. You have mm. an eights. We, we've learned, we've been well-developed by this time in Scripture that when you come across those these th- things, God is in, in here. Yeah. This and, is the place where heaven and earth meet. And the next passage sheds more light that's important. Three men are going up to God at Bethel. Okay. That cool. sounds almost that's like uh, yeah. Abraham, you know. Yeah. He meets three men. <laughs> three men uh, Three men are going up to God at Bethel. We'll meet you there. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. They will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from their hand, and you will come to the Gibeath Elohim, or can be translated hill of God or hill of gods, uh, either one, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a harp, a tambourine, flute, and lyre before them prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, mm. for God is with you. So a quick pause. He tells them, you're going to meet these three guys, and the Spirit of God's going to rush on you, and you're going to prophesy too. You're going to be made another man. You're going to see a garrison of the Philistines. Do what your hand finds to do. This is Creek with At The Table Podcast. We pray you're enjoying the show. If you are, feel free to leave us a good rating, share our podcast with a friend, and follow us on your podcasting platform. If you'd like to support the show, follow our Patreon or check out our social media for updates on merchandise. So grab a seat, kick back, and let's get back into what's at the table. So we leave with God telling Saul through this prophet Samuel that go do what is in your hand to do. Why? 
because God is with you. Do what your hand finds to do. Yeah, with that garrison of Philistines it's, over there. It seems like it's all but spelled out. Samuel is like, you see those guys over there? God's going to come on you. And right. uh, you should just do what's... Well, it's crazy. Like, Do what's obvious. The Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with him, and be turned into another man. Like, that's crazy. Like, this has to be it. Like, that's language that... What do you mean, another man? Like, surely... This cannot go wrong if God has turned you into another man. Surely there is no pride left in your heart. That, that actually is a great point. Like this is the first time where we read like the the spirit of God when it when it gets involved with a person like, made someone be born again or it's, something. It's like. creation. It's recreation, right? Like you're going to be different. Mm. You're not going to be the same. And so like we're we're here, and this is, seems to be like a positive thing. Like. I'm going to give you my spirit. Every time we've read that before, mighty things happen. When Samuel had the spirit of God come upon him, slew thousands. Like, so it should be obvious. Saul, when you see him, when the spirit comes on you, do what's obvious. You know, but up to this point, he's also like, he's a seemingly humble, simple dude. Right. He hasn't done any, to he, find, he hasn't done anything super weak. He's not marvelous right. or, you know, extravagant or mighty or anything like that. And and he's not prestigious either. He's humble. Um at least in in well, not in physical stature, obviously, but I don't know. So maybe this becoming another man thing, maybe it won't be good. Mm-hmm. Oh. Anyway, he he becomes another man. Verse 9 picks up with exactly what was prophesied happening. So it says when he turned his back to leave Samuel, talking about Saul, God gave him another heart. So that's like hearkening back to what you guys are saying. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed on him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the other prophets, the people said, What has come over the son of Kish? is Saul also among the prophets. And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To seek the donkeys. And Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell anything. So Samuel, it's crazy, bro. Like, literally Samuel went looking for donkeys and came out a new man anointed as the next king, you know. Yeah. Like, God has ordained for this. This is, like, I think it is a common thing that we think, like, you know, this is all just Saul's doing or this is his own will or whatever. But he grabbed this, but he didn't. Like, literally went looking for donkeys and, yeah, you know. This is God's doing. Yeah. And and that's something that's kind of going to get covered here in just a second. So Samuel calls the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. He says to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you've said to him, set a king over us. Therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. So at this inauguration point of Saul, 
there's a reiteration that although like the spirit's coming on him, we haven't seen what he's going what his hand is going to find to do. That in spite of the fact that we've got some positive things going on with the Saul character, it's reiterated to us that the choosing of Saul is the rejection of Yahweh. Yeah, and it it seems so juxtaposed, like bittersweet, because you'll have moments where God will say things like, I've heard the outcry of people, and I'm coming down with mercy for them. I'm going to save them, and I'm going to make this man a deliverer. But then at the same time, you have God through the prophet Samuel saying, like, you've rejected me. You're choosing a king, and you've rejected me. And so there's this bittersweet kind of, like, mixture of, of, of emotion. And we have already seen, I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead, but Saul didn't do what he was supposed to do. We're already past the moment where he's already left the Philistines. He left the garrison there and didn't touch him. Yeah. He, he, mm. I mean, I don't see how it could have been any clearer. Samuel says, hey, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, up there on that on the hill of God, there's Philistines up there. Do what's in your hand to do. And God clearly doesn't want you to be friends with the Philistines. No. So it's clear what he The means. idea was like Samuel was telling him, like, hey, that's the one. Go up there, wipe them out. The Spirit of God's going to rush on you. And you have this, and it to me, I see it a lot in Saul. But there's these links back to Samson, like, with the Spirit of God on you, go do that. Go kill those Philistines. You're going to be able to do it. God turned you into a prophet, but he doesn't. And when we come back to where, where Dalton is about to go, we, we're, we're at this scene where the tribes of Israelites, are, are they're, they're brought forward by clan and then Benjamin, and then it comes time to coronate Saul, right? It comes time to announce to the people what's going on. Saul's nowhere to be found. Yeah, he's hiding in he's the baggage. He's hiding in baggage. Where's the Spirit of God? It came upon you in might and power. It rushed upon you, and you're hiding in baggage? You just turned. You were turned into a prophet to where now all of Israel says, "Is even Saul a prophet?" But you're hiding. Yeah. This is the opposite. This is the opposite of Gideon, where Gideon was hiding, and then when he meets God, he turns into a mighty warrior. Right. Saul was humble, meets God, and then goes back to hiding in baggage. Man, and what's funny, like. You know, he's hiding in that baggage, and verse 23 says, they ran and took him from there, and when he stood among the people, you know, it reiterates, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Samuel says to him, do you see who the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among the people, and all the people shouted, long live the king. (laughs) Then, Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship and wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all of them away, each to his home. And Saul went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went the men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. So Saul apparently isn't accepted by everybody. Yeah, and I, I almost feel like that's an, I mean, first of all, the reason why I laughed is because Whenever you read that, the only thing I think of was Scar on The Lion King. Long live the king. <laughs> but there's your uh, Disney reference for this episode. We, we seem to get one every time. But um, this this idea that not everybody accepts him, and even Saul's reaction to that doesn't seem like a kingly thing. Like these these people disrespected you in front of all the people. They didn't bring gifts. They they didn't They didn't accept your coronation. And it says, but Saul ignored them. 
it almost seems like even his reaction to that is empty. It's not. It's not kingly. Yeah. You should have. You should have handled business. Yeah. You should have brought the fist down on these dudes, hardcore, and you didn't. But like, he doesn't. But I think it's important to note you are doing what your hand finds to do. It's just not, and it's not good. It's just yeah, not right, exactly. right? It's you're doing what is in your hand to do, what your hand finds to do, but it's, it's not, it's not what Yahweh would have you to do. And we're gonna read next about, you know, we mentioned where like there's supposed to be, if you're gonna be a king, you've got to have this, this victory, you've got to have this battle, and we see where he refuses to fight the Philistines, and then he refuses to quelch the rebellion of these two, right, or of these guys. So it says that Nahash, which is, by the way, snake, this king, mm-hmm. it says, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm serious. The king of the Ammonites, they had been grievously oppressing the people of Gad and Reuben who lived east of the Jordan River. He had gouged out the right eye of each Israelite living there, and he didn't allow anyone to come and rescue them. In fact, all of the Israelites east of the Jordan, there wasn't a single one whose right eye Nahash had not gouged out save 7,000 men who had escaped from the Ammonites, and they were settled, settled in Jebesh Gilead. So we're introduced into an enemy. We're introduced into... A snake. His name literally means snake. Mm. Like, and he's... <laughs> so King Snake, right? About a month later, King Snake of Ammon led his army against the Israelite town of Jabesh Gilead. And all the cities of Jabesh asked for peace. Make a treaty with us, and we will be your servants, they pleaded. Man. No. <laughs> is this the, is this like the the ideal conquest? Is this what should be happening? To render yourself as a right. slave to those that Joshua said don't ma- was told don't make a treaty with anyone. Kill everyone. And here you have a snake. He's oppressing the people to the point where they say make a treaty, don't kill us. We'll but, be your slaves. And the sad part is is these are a group of people that God specifically told Moses don't touch them. Yep. Leave them alone. Yeah. I've given them their land as an inheritance. So Israel doesn't start grief with them. You know, they they come picking for a fight when Israel had given them peace. Yeah, I, and I, maybe, I don't know if it's super important for the story, but maybe just to mention on a, on a nerd note, the, the reason why that the, the, the snake has gouged out the right eye is because that, that is what makes you a competent shooter of a bow or, or a thrower of a sling. Yeah. Most people are right-handed, and if you don't have a right eye, you're 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 not going to be a good shot. You can't shoot a bow. It's much like we talked about last episode when they cut the thumbs off people. It's to take away the strength of your hand. You yeah. can't grip. So this this snake has has crippled the people east of the Jordan militarily. Yeah. Mm. So the snake tries to make a they're like, "Hey, you know, let's make a treaty with the snake and we'll serve the snake." And he said, on this condition only will I make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all of your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all of Israel. And the elders say, give us seven days respite that we could send messengers through all the territory of Israel. And if there's no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. So the messengers come to Gibeah of Saul and reported the matter and all the people wept aloud. And Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. I said, what is wrong with the people? Why are they weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed on Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of an oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers 
whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so it shall be done to his oxen. And the dread of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out as one man, and he mustered them at Bezek. The people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah were 30,000. So, W. Yeah, this is a W take. This is a good. Finally, finally Saul is doing something. His hand finds to do something good. He's, he's still behind oxen plowing. You've been announced to be the king of over all the people, and you're yes. still you're, you're still plowing a field, but God's going to concede to work with this this anointed one. He's going to concede, and his spirit rushes upon Saul, and finally, finally, Saul finds his hand to do something good. Right. So much so that it says that his anger, like his his anger, the fear, the dread of his anger fell on all the people, and dread of the, of the Lord, it, everyone's scared. He, I mean, what a bold move. Like, dude, walk, after not even dealing with the people that disrespected him when he gets coronated, he comes out with this, you know, cut up, and he says, if you don't come out behind me to fight with me, I'm going to cut you up too. Yeah. He, he ain't playing no more. He said, I'm going to chop up your oxen just like I did this one. You know, I'm going to come decimate the way that you make a living. And he, they tell to the men of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow by the time the sun's hot, you will have salvation. That's pretty this good. He's finally in the looking East. like Joshua. <laughs> well, he's looking like a snake crusher. Right. Literally, King Snake is oppressing the, these people, and finally the Spirit of God comes upon an anointed one, and he's going out to battle. Right. The and anointed he, one's going to save him. Yeah. And Here, the, finally. And the men of Jabesh Gilead give themselves up to Saul, and they're like, hey, do what seems good, you know? <laughs> and the next day, Saul puts the people in three companies, they come to the midst of the camp. Uh, in the morning watch, and they struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day, and those that survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. So it seems like kind of maybe the same thing that happened back right. then won't happen again, but they're still survivors. Yes, exactly. Not a good sign. It's not total domination. <clears throat> right. Then the kingdom's renewed, and that's the way that chapter 11 leaves us off. The well, people's yeah, it, I mean, sorry to cut you off, but it, it specifically says that the people said, where were those people yeah. that said that Saul wouldn't rule over us? And they brought them forward and put them to death. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So now we're having a different look at Saul. And the people's confidence in him is up. Well, yeah. that's not exactly the case. He says, where are those people? They say this to Samuel. Who is it that said Saul will not reign over us? Bring them in that we may put them to death. But Saul says, not a man will be put to death this day. For today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Now Which you have it seems like a nice. Yeah, yeah that that's is what a I was saying. Like the people, thing. their confidence in Saul is so up. They're like, "Where, where are the haters? Let's kill get them. them. Let's kill them." And then you have Saul, almost as a intercessor, yeah. where he says, "No, mercy, yeah. Mer- mercy." And and you're left thinking, like, "Wow, that's." A- I'm with Saul on that one. That's a good thing, right? Like, yeah. which the next time he feels threatened by a person in his kingdom. Hopefully he deals with it the same way. I bet he will. He's a he's a Mashiach. He will. <coughs> oh gosh, man! <laughs> so the next chapter gives us like a really sad farewell address from Samuel. Samuel says to all of Israel, and this is after the kingdom is renewed. Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me. I have made a king over you, and now behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray. Behold, my sons are with you. 
I've walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. And they say, You have not defrauded or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day. You have not found anything in my hand. And they say, He is witness. Samuel says to the people, The Lord is my witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds that the Lord performed for you and your fathers. When When Jacob went into Egypt and Egyptians oppressed them, Your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in his place. But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and to the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned, because we have forsaken the Lord, and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, that we may serve you. So the Lord sent Jerubbabel, which that's Gideon, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, and Barak, and Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. Now when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came out against you, you said to me, No, but let a king reign over us. When the Lord your God was your king, behold now the king that you have chosen, for whom you have asked, Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, then it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord and rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore stand still and see the great thing the Lord will do. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking for yourselves the king. So Samuel calls on God, he sends thunder and rain, and the people fear greatly before God and Samuel. And they say to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all of our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Don't be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve him with all of your heart. Don't turn after empty things that don't profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. I always, I read this and I think like, yeah, it's really easy to admit your sin after you've already benefited from your sin, or I guess you've already gotten what you wanted out of it. Yeah, that's true. You got your king. Right. (laughs) So Samuel bids them like this farewell. He's like, all right, I'm out. Um, My time's done, and I'll I'll still be praying for you and everything. Uh, Just make sure you don't depart from God, because if you do, he's not only going to sweep you away, but he's going to take your king away too. Yeah, and specifically, like, I think of headship when I think of this, because the way that God addresses them through Samuel and says, like, it's not just about you doing good anymore. But now you you have to obey a king, and your king has to do good too. 
Mm-hmm. And if and if and if your king doesn't do good, you're still going to be swept away. It, you know, it, it's like this headship deal. It's like yeah. when when you had Yahweh before you, he was he was the one who led you, and you could trust that he would always do good. But you've chosen for you an Adam for a headship again, mm-hmm. and he's can he do good? No, no one can, right? <laughs> so it's like you you've put something in between you and God that is inevitably going to fail. Mm. Yeah. So when when Saul had been king over Israel for two years, in the next chapter he chooses three thousand men, two thousand with him and a thousand with his son Jonathan in Gibeah, and the rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. And Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Well, it's funny that the first yeah. one to engage the right. Philistines is his son. Jonathan. It's kind of like a little bit of like a, like, oh, you kind of dropped the ball. Like, yeah, yeah. Especially since he only has a thousand men, but, or Saul has two thousand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but to give Saul this, finally his hand did do something against the Ammonites, which was that second step in the coronation and the third, you know, the actual coronation itself. So that part's complete. You mean the Philistines? No, he Saul fought the Ammonites. Yeah, but now he's fighting the Philistines yeah. that he should have fought in the yeah. beginning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- they muster an army of three thousand chariots, six thousand charioteers, and they camp at Michmash, east of Beth Haven. And the men of Israel saw a tight spot. What a tight spot they were in! <laughs> I like the way your version puts that. <laughs> they saw what a tight spot they were in. Just for the audience, I do not read the Message Bible. This is the NLT. Yeah. We- <laughs> So, um, meanwhile, Saul stays at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him to do. But Samuel didn't come. And when Saul had realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, he demanded, Bring me the burnt offering and the peace offering blessings, or the peace, and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Just as Saul was finishing mm. the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet him and welcome him, and Samuel said, What is this thing that you have done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines were at, <laughs> are at Michmash, ready for battle. And so I said, The Philistines are ready to march against us, and I haven't asked for the Lord's help. I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. So hold up. This seems like a garden moment. Like, yeah. You, you take a role that isn't yours to take. Samuel specifically said, wait seven days, I'm going to come, we'll sacrifice. And the idea is like God's going to go with you in this battle. He's going to give you victory. Saul waits seven days, and it says, you know, Samuel's not here, getting nervous, right? He goes ahead and, and he t- does what is a, a priest should do or a prophet should do. and He's at, not um, authorized. Right. You're yeah. not authorized to do so. It's like that that classic, like God wants obedience over a sacrifice. But, well, that's <laughs> that's a good point. But specifically, whenever he's confronted, it's like I I just see Adam in this. It's like yes. Well, well, what, but what, what I, have you done? Uh, well, um, you you didn't show up when you said you would. You, I like, I'm here now. I, I showed up right after the burnt sacrifice. It's almost like Samuel's waiting in a bush, like right on the bottom <laughs> side of the hill. It's like, waits until it's done. And then he like peeks up like, what have you done? Oh, well, you, you didn't show up. And so I felt, I felt My compelled. wife did it. 
that's the thing. It's like, I, oh, I realized that I hadn't, I hadn't offered, I hadn't asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled. It's almost like he's saying like, <laughs> well, an outside force, like maybe even God compelled me to do so. Have you seen that video? Oh no, the table. It's broken. <laughs> no, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. Anyway, the audience will get it. But yeah, the the response from Samuel's not, I mean, not awesome for Saul. You know, he's, he's like, you've done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal, and the rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. Saul numbers the people that are present, about 600. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, the people who were present with him, stayed at Gibeah of Benjamin. The Philistines, are again, they're encamped at Michmash. The raiders came out from the camp of the Philistines in three companies, one turns towards uh, Ophrah to the land of Shuel, another to the Beth Horon, and another company towards the border that looks down at the valley of Zeboim towards the wilderness. Just in case we didn't catch that, like Saul just lost his anointing. <laughs> he lost his kingdom. He just lost the kingdom. I find it interesting too that, that Samuel says, like, if you would have just obeyed, God would have established your kingdom forever. Well, he lost his dynasty. So there's not going to come one from Saul that will maintain the kingdom. Which, I mean, it kind of sucks because Jonathan, he's he's solid. Mm -hmm. And we're about to read in in, in chapter 14, it says that one day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines are. But Jonathan did not tell his father where he was going. And amongst Saul's men was Ahijah, the priest who was wearing the ephod and the priestly vest. And Ahijah was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, the son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the son of the, the Lord, the, prophet, the priest who the Lord did, who served the Lord at Shiloh. Mm-hmm. So another point here. A rejected priest. Yeah. But even so, Saul could have, <laughs> he had a priest with him, and he yeah. offers the burnt offering himself. You had a, a priest of the line of Eli, why would you sacrifice yourself? Yes. I, I, you know, it's to me, it, it, what this points to is a much more grievous offense by Saul, and it's yeah. a usurping of an right. office. Right. I am going to bypass God's office of priest. I'm going to bypass God's office of a prophet and in front of all my men to give them courage and faith in me. I'll be the one who goes between God and the people. Perhaps it's kind of like a, I'm a God king. I'm a, yeah. You know, I think so. I think so. I think that this clearly spells out that like Saul is, he's not just nervous about losing his army, but he is trying to uh, usurp a place that isn't his to take. Yeah, and he's contrasted even in, in this chapter against his own son. The the last chapter left off with telling us something though, that the Philistines have taken every blacksmith out of Israel because they're afraid that okay, well the Israelites are going to fashion swords and and spears and then they're going to get it in with us. So. The Israelites at this point are pretty well rocking like plow sickles, and they don't yeah. got much in terms of weaponry. So it, it's showing they're they're outgunned, they're outmanned, <laughs> they're outmatched. But this next story is so cool. 
So Jonathan has this armor bearer, to, and he says to the young man that carried his armor, yo, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. I love the contempt in his tone. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or few. So his armor bearer says to him, do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. So it's kind of like that, do what your hand finds to do. Mm, so Jonathan's like, so well, good. I'll tell you what my hand finds to do. He said, behold, we'll cross over to him, and we'll show ourselves to him, just the two of us, to this whole garrison. If they say to us, wait till we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has given them into our hands. This will be a sign to us. So this man picks an odd sign. Here's your Star Wars reference. Don't do it, Anakin. I have the high ground. (laughs) (laughs) So Jonathan says, the way we're going to know that God wants us to pound them into oblivion is if us with the low ground are called to go up to them that are many. Two against a garrison. Garrison has high ground. We don't. That's his litmus test. That's trust in the Lord, though. Well, and it's all, yeah. But it's also like from my mind, and I'm not trying to naturalize it, but if I'm like with my garrison of my boys and I see a couple of Israelites down here, I'm going to taunt them. Right. You know, I'm going to say, oh, you know, go ahead. Come on up. Come on up. Let's get it. So that's the sign that he picks. So the Philistines say, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes that they've hidden themselves in. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and saying, come up to us and we'll show you something. <laughs> That's the John version. No, right? I, I think it's so funny because Jonathan's hungry for a fight. He wants one. The bro. sign that he picks is like the most obvious thing that will, it's going to happen. And you can just see the smile like the Grinch just crack from <laughs> ear to ear. He turns to his armor bearer like, <laughs> he's like, we finna get it. Man. And so, so yeah, they, they, they get climb up in. the hill. It says on, that on all fours, yeah. he's climbing up this hill, and men are falling in front of him, and his armor bearer is coming behind him, just poking him with a sword, just killing him. And it said that him and his armor bearer killed 20 people, and their bodies were scattered over, scattered over half an acre. <laughs> yeah, so the garrison and the raiders tremble, and the, and the earth quaked, and there became a great panic. The watchmen of Saul look, and behold, a multitude is running away, and Saul says to the people that are with him, Count and see who is gone. So they say, well, your son and his armor bearer aren't here. So Saul said, bring the ark of God. Oh, that just brings up nasty memories. Right. Uh, For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now Saul was talking to the priests, and the tumult of the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. And the people were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow, and there was great confusion. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time had gone up with them to the camp. So they also turned to be with the Israelites. Likewise, when the men of Israel had hidden themselves in the hill of the country of Ephraim, heard the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed after battle. So they, after Jonathan and his armor bearer get it in with this garrison, knocked 20 dudes from the low ground on all fours, fighting on all fours, it scares and the earthquakes. It scares the pee out of the Philistines. They're booking it. They start fighting each other. God evidently sends them some kind of confusion, and God saves them that day. And a bunch of other Israelites, including Jonathan's dad, are like, let's get it. You well, know? I think that you, you hit such a fire point earlier when you were talking about the comparison between Saul and Jonathan. 
And basically they're told the same thing. Do what's in your hand to do. You see the Philistines up there on that hill? That's the same thing Saul was told. But what was in his hand to do was, mm. I'm going to go hide behind the baggage. Where Jonathan, he picks the most obvious sign that's going to happen. Says, well, if they're up there and they're armed and we're really not, and they have the high ground and we have the low ground, and there's 20 of them and two of us, if they say they want to fight, God's given them to our hand. So obviously it happens. He runs up the hill. They kill 20 men, scatter their bodies over half an acre. You see in Jonathan's heart, in his hand to do, he's he's ready for battle. Right. But it goes further than that because when Saul should have waited for Samuel to hear from the Lord, here obviously God has moved right after, it says suddenly after this, right after Jonathan kills these 20 men with his armor bearer, an earthquake strikes. God is behind this. And John, all of these people, they start going to battle against these Philistines. But what does Saul say to do? Bring the Ark of the Covenant. Let's let's inquire of the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's not time to inquire of the Lord. It's time to go and do. It's, time to it's not. not time to sit here and look at the yeah. Ark of the Covenant. God's given them into your hand. Every single time that we've read so far where it says like, okay, you, you should if you have a heart after Yahweh, if you have if you have Yahweh's heart, you should be able to pick up what he's putting down. You should be able to understand like what he wants you to do. And so far it seems like other than one time against Nahash, it seems like every time that this circumstance arises, Saul does the opposite. And the contrast gets gucky again. Like Saul takes this rash oath. He says, Cursed is the man who eats food until it is evening and I am avenged on my enemies. And you see, and, and what he oh, do, what he doesn't know after Jonathan has done all this, like you know, Jonathan says, like my father's troubled the land. See, my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little honey. This dude's tired from fighting. He didn't wait with hundreds of men. No, with an armor bearer that didn't got squat crawling on all fours up a hill towards the garrison. This dude engaged them in combat, and he's. He's doing rough, right? He's tired, so he eats a little bit of honey, having no idea the oath that his father said. His father literally cursed him, right? Cursed yeah. to be anybody that eats until I'm avenged. And so he recognizes that his father is bad. And Saul gets the priests, and they start casting lots to try to figure out, like, who's broke this oath. And, and the guilt is found that comes down to two people, him and his son, Saul and Jonathan. Therefore, Saul says, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant? If this guilt is in me or Jonathan, my son, O Lord God of Israel, give Urim. But if the guilt is on your people, Israel, give Thummim. Which these are the, they're almost like lots that are kept in a priest's pocket of his ephod. So Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. So then they cast between Saul and his son, and it lands on his son. And Saul says, tell me what you have done. So he tells him. And Saul says, God, do to me and more also, you will surely die, Jonathan. And the people save Jonathan, Jonathan's life. They're like, dude, no, he has worked this great salvation. He has worked this great salvation in Israel today. Not you. Yeah. Far well, from it, dude. You, were, you were sitting there with the Ark of the Covenant when it was time to do battle. You weren't you weren't out here. Jonathan kicked this whole thing off. And and the, we've already we've already learned about foolish oaths before. Um, I don't think we covered it in the judges, but there, but there's there's a judge who makes a foolish oath. Yes, I yeah. really wanted to cover and, it, and, and his his name was actually mentioned in this chapter, um, Jephthah, where he 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 goes to battle and he delivers the Israelites, and then he he makes this foolish oath before the Lord, where he says like, when I get back, the first thing that I see, I'm going to sacrifice it. 
Yeah. And it's his daughter. And so, I mean, he's left in that position where here Saul does the same exact thing. He makes a foolish oath that he shouldn't have made. So more or less, Saul is, in chapter 15, Saul is commanded to destroy the Amalekites. Um, Saul prepares to do so, but he doesn't. He doesn't completely destroy the Amalekites when he was clearly told to utterly destroy them. So and it's another, uh, it's another he's kind of got a track record of that, right? He it's do that it's like this. Yes, it's like this. This theme that Israel is not to combine with other nations, and every time they do, they fall away. Well, and it's just the fact that it's like every time you get told to do something, you just muck it up, dude. Right. You, you don't. You don't seem to. <laughs> you don't seem to have a heart after Yahweh, and that's what that's what Samuel said that God's rejected you as king, and he is. He's found someone, and he's appointed someone. Who has his heart? Because you clearly don't. And the Lord of the the word of the Lord came to Samuel. It says, "I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments." And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord, the Lord, all night. Mm. So he literally, you know, Samuel goes and tells Saul that, and Samuel goes and rejects the king that he anointed. Yeah. We're left on, at the end of this episode with a bitter note. Mm. The, the thing that could have been good, the thing that was portrayed to look like a good thing, it, it, it isn't good. Right. And it almost seems to me that there's like a, all of, all of this disobedience and rashness comes from a place of wounded pride. Like, yes. You know, he said, let you know, cursed is the man that eats till I am avenged on my enemies today. Yeah. Well, I mean, good things today have been happening, yeah. you know. All day long, because your son, not you, charged up with an armor bearer with virtually nothing to take on a garrison, and God delivered him into your son's hand. And that's kind of a sad note. You know, I, I know we're landing this plane, but Saul's John, not the John, guy. Saul's definitely not the guy, and Saul's dynasty is not the dynasty, but Jonathan is he, he is a good man. Yeah, he is. He, In fact, he looks like a better king. He'll be worked into it somehow. Maybe it, God's not done with him. It'll be good stuff. Well, for well, the purposes of this episode, I think that that's what's at the table. We have a king yeah. and still no snake crusher, so right. we'll be looking Even forward. Even though he did step on the head of a snake. Yeah, that was kind of yeah. cool. All right. He just didn't kill it. He just stepped on it. From all of us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. All right. From, yeah. Go ahead, Dalton. From all of us here at the table, God bless you. Godspeed. Catch you later. Thank you for listening to another episode of At The Table Podcast. We hope you have been blessed by the content of the show. If you enjoyed, subscribe and give us a like on Facebook. If you want to support the podcast, go to our Patreon, At The Table Podcast. Until next time, thank you and God bless.